0: Hockey and playoff baseball have been kicking all October. And with NBA tip-off now here too, Sportsnet Now is your home for all the action.
1: Stream more than 500 NHL games this season, blackout free, including the Stanley Cup playoffs. Plus, stream the 2019 NBA champion Raptors, I actually think they could repeat, why not? The MLB postseason, your favorite Sportsnet
0: original shows, and much more. Visit snnow.ca for more details. Hey, welcome to the Tape to Tape podcast powered by the Ram 1500 Sport built exclusively for Canadians. All right, Rory, big sports questions for you here to kick off the pod. Let's do it. Who's going to win the World Series that starts tonight, Tuesday, the day we're actually taping this? You know, that's a tough question. You're just happy the Yankees are out. I'm
1: just really happy the Yankees are out at this point. It's really hard to pick against the Houston Astros, isn't it? I mean, they just seem to have everything. They have defense, they have hitting, they have a lot of pitching. I guess that can be said for both sides, but the Astros just seem to have it all done. I don't even know if they have a weakness. I'm
0: going with a heart pick. I'm picking the Nationals. I would just like to see it. But I do believe a little bit in the uh, the delay hurting the Magic a little bit. They've been off for a while, but hey, man, they got Strasburg. They got Scherzer. I think you're in the game. It's been a long time, but how do you think... Montreal Expos
1: fans would feel about the Nationals winning a World Series?
0: Uh, I think okay. I feel like the Expos feel like they had you know, I don't know how much of a connection people feel to the team, but I don't think it would be like it's not their Colorado players. winning the Stanley Cup yes. the first year after they left Yes, Quebec. that it certainly would wouldn't be yes. that. Yeah. Alright, the Raptors start tonight. Are they going to make the playoffs? <laughs> yes! I feel
1: like they're going to. I think, I like I think going they going will to. make yeah. the playoffs too. Sixth? Something yeah. like that. Scrappy. Yeah, scrappy. Fun yeah. season. Yep.
0: Spicy pea. Spicy pee. Should we talk a little hockey? Let's do hockey. Do this know, is a hockey podcast. Do you know what the Colorado Avalanche's <laughs> winning percentage was in the 16-17 season? So that was the
1: disastrous season. You mean season-long winning percentage? Se-
0: season-long winning percentage. Oh boy, I don't know. Like It was a 250. It was 293. 293. <laughs> it would not have won you the batting title. Right. And Jared Bednar becomes the coach. The team basically had made the playoffs once between uh in the decade basically it was the Patrick Waugh shortened season 2013 which has become the case study for analytics in terms of here's how you know something's actually wrong with the team and it's not sustainable Bednar's the coach I feel like there's people working NHL beats who you could have fooled with hey do you know who the coach of Colorado Avalanche is Yep. And all that's the backdrop when they're trying to trade Matt Duchesne and the situation drags on and on. I bring this all up for a few reasons, but we're basically at the two-year anniversary of the Duchesne trade. It was November 5th, 2017. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, and you can call up the tape from this podcast. We like to trade for everyone that day, and most people like to trade for everyone, Nashville, Colorado, and Ottawa. Yeah. But ever since that happened, it's just crazy how our perception of the Avs has completely flipped from a, I mean, you're kind of looking at Joe Sackick and I don't want to say he was in that territory where he's like tarnishing his reputation as a player, but like you really didn't know if this guy should be in charge of an NHL team at that point. There was not a lot to suggest he should. Yeah. And two years later, it's just hit after hit for this team. And they come into this year with all this hoopla. And so far, they're really living up to it. And it's not just the top line. You know, they went out and got Kadri He's been great. Tyson Jost, third line center. P.S., a 10th overall pick from not that long ago. Scored a hat trick in a win over Tampa Bay. You're starting to look at that thinking, well, oh, that guy can probably bring what Kerfoot brought, you know, pretty soon. Yep. Kale McCarr, you know, it's one of those face smacks you do when you realize, why didn't I pick that guy for the Calder instead of just picking the first overall guy? Right, Uh, We don't know the extent of Rantanen's injury right now. He turned an ankle, or at least that's what we saw. It didn't look great on someone- I to watch that video. Yeah, and there were certainly some stills that didn't look fantastic, but even Colorado's at the point now where even if their hot shot top line right winger goes down, maybe left winger, I might have that wrong, might have that flipped- if he goes down for two months, this team's just going to keep clipping, and they're kind of at that point already where you're thinking, well, the playoffs is the real season for them. Let's see what they can do because they might be able to go all the way.
1: Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on how that the perception of the team has changed in two years. I was going to say the perception of the GM has has completely changed. Oh, absolutely. The, like, he was... Uh, I remember how long it seemed like Duchene had to be traded for, and then that famous picture of him arriving at yes. training camp, looking like I really don't want to anywhere be anywhere but here. Yeah, and and, and you were like, how's he going to get there. anything for this guy? Exactly. Who clearly, you waited yeah. too long, you missed your window. Now, if you trade him in season, you're not going to get what you want. And if you play through the whole season with them, then you're in for another terrible year again where no one's happy. And he ends up cranking a home run. The pickups since, I mean, the the pickups this summer, Jonas Donskoy has got six points in nine games. YouTube producer, Colorado... Avalanche fan extraordinaire uh, Drew Livingston will not let me forget about Andre Birakovsky, who I'm still not really buying into, but he's scored a couple of game-winning goals for the team so far, and, and he's been looking good. I wonder if Rantanen is out for a while, if... Landeskog and McKinnon stay together if they split them sure, up, because they've, yeah, they've done that true. in the past two, or how those lines... But now, this year, what they didn't have last year, and they were still a pretty good team last year, is they now have the depth and the options to yeah. move guys around and try and find that best fit when when injuries ultimately do hit. And like you said, like the defense is great. Philip uh, Grubauer has been really solid in net, but his backup, Pavel Francouz, who was on pretty much nobody's radar, the but Cous. had a pretty good track record in the in the KHL, a yeah. couple of good years there, um, he's been amazing coming in. So if he can keep something to that level up, and you can lower Grubauer's uh, starts, as we know, we've talked about this so many times that you want to keep a starter below 50 games ideally. So he's rested for the playoffs you could potentially do that without sacrificing anything. So, I mean, this season, last season, we saw them take a step forward in how uh, cohesive they were and how they were being led by their by their big dogs and that they were real. McKinnon wasn't just a one-year wonder. He was going to stick and be that kind of a stud. And this year, with Kadri on that second line, Jost, with the, the young defense coming up to... Now they have the depth that they didn't have before, and that's what really separates the, the really good teams from the ones that can be good for stretches but can't really survive when, when injuries or, or slumps start to hit and they start to peter out.
0: Would you call the Mighty Ducks the Mighty... I actually didn't do that on purpose. That was just a slip. Would They're you mighty. call the Ducks, who are mighty, an adopted team of yours? Uh, I think so. Yeah, for sure. I like watching them play. I've always liked
1: watching the Ducks play. It's sometimes hard to do it on the East Coast. True. I wish I was a fan of sports living on the West Coast. It I seems know. really wonderful.
0: I <laughs> hear the Bill Simmons podcast <laughs> when he talks about waking up and you know watching football from uh, 10 o'clock on on a Sunday. And it's amazing. like, that's amazing. yeah.
1: But they're a fun team to watch. But the thing with the Ducks is, historically, they've always been like a big team, right? Getzlaff and Perry were the the big guys down low, and they could really play a good cycle game and beat you that way. This seems a little bit different. They still have Getzlaff, obviously, but they're quicker. Um, They play with a lot more pace. And you're seeing some of the young kids like, like Sam Steele start to show something here at the start of the season. Guys that we recognize as bounce-back candidates. Ricard Raquel had a really low shooting percentage last year. He's been lights out at the start of this season. Jacob Silverberg, another guy, he's been good. My boy, Andre Kasha, has been really good. Like, all these guys, you saw that there was more to them than, than what there was last year. And last year, I was wondering if it was a case of, you know, they weren't deep enough, the kids weren't ready yet to push for higher spots, more responsibility, but also... Had Randy Carlisle worn out his welcome, right? Coaches have shelf lives and then the rooms start to tune them out. Sure. And so I think there was a little bit of that going on there as well. And you just needed to get out of that fog, start something new with Dallas Aikens, who himself really learns a lot by coaching and coaching unsuccessfully with the Edmonton Oilers. So he's changed his approach. And the team just seems to have a lot more, uh, a lot new life to it. The defense, the the blue line is way better than it was last year. Uh, Cam Fowler has been fabulous this year. Lindholm has been great. I mean, it's always been a strength of theirs. But again, for whatever reason last year, there was just nothing exciting going on there. And then of course, Annette, um, I don't know if there's a better backup Definitely not a more experienced, stable backup in the league than Ryan Miller is. And we've talked about it so many times that John Gibson's got to be a Vesna finalist sometime sure, soon. This really seems like the year. It's always injuries kind of hold this guy back. But again, two of the finalists last year got no more than uh, 47 starts. So that you know, as long as he gets there... John Gibson should have been a, a finalist at some point. He should have been a finalist by now. This seems to be the year that he can really step forward. Now there is one thing about the Ducks uh, PDO, which is that stat that is basically tracking who's been super lucky and who's been very unlucky. The Ducks are one of those teams that have been very, very lucky. Um, the silver lining is that save percentage probably save isn't percentage come down is yet. pushing that. The, the shooting percentage isn't like extremely high and destined to come down. The save percentage is. The save percentage is so high that it is going to come down some, but not to the degree that it's going to adversely affect this team. It's reasonable to expect that this team with Miller and Gibson could end up after 82 games with the best
0: team percentage. Sure, absolutely. Well, stick around, sports fans. We're going to talk a lot more hockey here. We're going to bring Eric Engels in to talk about the Habs. Been uh, a decent start to the year for Montreal, but... Uh, as always, a lot, of, uh, a lot of questions around that team. We're also going to talk a little fantasy in the next segment. And uh, Rory and I are facing each other head-to-head in one of our pools. So hopefully we're still talking to each other next week. Stick around. More coming up on Tape to Tape.
1: Tape to Tape is brought to you by the Canadian-exclusive Ram 1500 Sport.
0: Rory, I used to drive a Ram as part of my uh summer job as a teenager. I was hauling hay bales around Southwestern Ontario and uh it was always up to the Ram to get us from A to B. That was 25 years ago, so I'm sure they've come up with some uh, exceptional improvements since then. That's a pretty good summer job right there. Yeah, pretty good summer job, <laughs> nice and sunburnt the whole time. Pale skin turned red. It wasn't the Ram's fault though. This full-size pickup gives Canadians exceptional capability and aggressive styling from headlamp to tail lamp. But the real statement comes from inside, where an all-black interior teams up with heated seats and steering wheel, an available largest-in-class 12-inch touchscreen media centre where you can check out your favourite podcast, and innovative storage solutions designed to fit your busy life.
1: Your friends might chirp your on-ice game. Well, not my friends. But they will most certainly not chirp your road game. The Ram 1500
0: Sport. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Time to talk a little fantasy. Rory, as we go head to head in our pool here, if you are into fantasy sports, if you're into fantasy hockey, uh, make sure you check out the Sportsnet fantasy pool presented by Ram. Go to sportsnet.ca forward slash Ram for your chance to win all kinds of cool prizes, including a Ram 1500 sport. So Rory, we're going head to head, but it's early days. We don't really know how these things are going to play out, but in our other pool, the action's already heating up trade wise. I know you're, uh, you're jumping in. You're, you're trying to make strong moves here for your rebuild.
1: Yeah. So a little background here, we're expansion teams in this draft. It's a long running league, at least 10 years, I think. So, uh, not starting from a position of strength. The guy in first place has like McDavid, Drysaitel, Marchand. Like it's a ridiculous it team, right? So yeah. we're not winning That's anytime right. soon. So I've actually had this this trade offer on the table for a while, and I finally accepted it, um, giving up my Chris Letang, who's been fabulous and great. And this is why the first place guy wants him, I guess. But kind of thinking he's going to get hurt because he probably averages 60, 65 games a year. And knowing that I'm going to be in this for the long run and doing a rebuild, I was able to get Oliver Wallstrom, Raphael Lavoie, and Ottawa Senators uh, 21-year-old goalie Philip Gustafson, which is a really long-term play. You never know with goalies, right? But it's all about Wallstrom, who has already played a couple of NHL games this year, started very strongly in the AHL this year before that, Obviously, very highly touted draft pick. Great career at the U.S. National Team Development Program. And Lavoie, I'm kind of iffy on, but he's definitely got that natural goal-scoring ability, which sometimes just naturally translates into uh, stardom at the NHL level, right? And right now, he's crushing QMJHL competition as a 19-year-old. So that's a that's a good sign. It's not something that I'm going to... Uh, say, makes him a guarantee to hit in the NHL or anything like that. But hopefully he pays off. For me, though, it was all about Wallstrom. I was waffling on this a little bit, trying to get some other guys to make some trades, and nothing was moving. So, like, I'm not winning. I might as well try and go get Wallstrom all I can.
0: Nice. (laughs) I I got people asking me about Dougie Hamilton. You look at the way he started the year. I mean, let's zoom out. Look at the way John Carlson started the year. Insane. But Dougie Hamilton... You know, for a guy we've talked about a lot because he's been traded twice. Uh, I mean, we heard Jake Gardner talk about wanting to go to a place like Carolina where it's a little quieter. It sure seems like that suits Ducky Hamilton now. I mean, this guy's gonna be—I would have to think—getting on the short list of Norris candidates here this year.
1: The thing about him, and you could see it coming, is that his dip in numbers last year. You can throw that out the window because that's not indicative of how they're going to use him going forward. Once Justin Falk moved out, that yeah. opened up a whole bunch of power play, uh, a whole bunch more minutes for Dougie Hamilton. He was the one who was going to take that over. That's what he got in Calgary when he had good year there, right? So it was just a matter of getting that role and responsibility back, and he has it now. His talent is undeniable. He's going to be there for the long term, I would think. So you you, you know going in, just forget about last year. He's going to be a stud for those guys for. For a long time to come, that would be a tough
0: one to trade. That might be good for a rebuilding team. It to might hang be. On to that game. All right. <laughs> yeah, now you say that. I, I got an offer out there twisting in the wind. We'll see what happens. Ask for the moon and see what happens. All right. Carolina was one of those teams that narrowly edged the Montreal Canadiens in the playoff race. Last year ended up going to the final four. We're going to talk about those very same Montreal Canadiens uh, with Eric Engels, our man on the ground in Montreal. So stick around for that coming up on the other side of the break. Mr. Angle's live from Montreal. OddsShark.net is your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, and detailed matchup picks. Looking for stats and trends for an upcoming game? oddshark.net has those too and it's free expert in-depth
1: analysis stats and trends to help you make the sharp game day picks whether you want to get it on the football action tonight's hockey game or anything in between go to oddshark.net this is not a gambling site
0: welcome back to tape to tape time now for our overtime segment brought to you by Subway, no joke, Subway now delivers. Joining us on the line now from Montreal, partway through a Paul Byron column, it is Sportsnet's Eric Angles. Eric, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing really well, guys. How are you?
0: We're all right. I don't know if we'll get to Lord Byron today in our Habs chat, but mm-hmm. I do want to talk to you about a few things. The power play, which people... We're screaming about all of last year and hand-wringing over the summer. It looks great so far. The penalty kill so far, though, uh, the exact opposite, near the bottom of the league. So tell us a bit about what's worked with the power play, but maybe zone in on why is the PK not working and the defensive game in general for the Habs not real crisp right now?
2: Yeah, well, let's change it up. Let's start with the good and then finish with the bad. The good with the power play is, Um, And what I lean from it is the way the coaches have kind of structured things around the personnel that they have. And, you know, I was talking to Thomas Tar last week who said, you know, we don't have Stamkos and Kucherov across from each other ripping one-timers. So, you know, the Canadians seem to have emphasized working the play down low a lot more than they did last year. Um, It's opening up the points for the plays that they want to make with guys like Weber and Petrie shooting one-timers. They have much more net presence. You know, They've got two or three guys around the net, so they're not one and done opportunities. And probably one of the biggest factors in their success so far is that there wasn't a lot of turnover on the team from last year to this year. And there's a familiarity factor uh, that has established itself and chemistry is kind of there. Whereas last year, it was a snowball effect where they started out the gate with, with issues and never really figured it out. And you know, I was talking to Kirk Muller before the season began. He said one of the biggest problems they had is that Domi had a five-game suspension in the preseason, and, you know, they weren't able to structure their power play with him involved in game situations. And once you get going in one direction, it's it's hard to stop that snowball, uh, which brings us to the penalty kill, which, you know, for a couple of games seemed to have righted itself uh, last week when, you know, with the win over St. Louis. You know, they were very strong, uh, on saturday and then sunday the same problems are there they're allowing too many team passes i think it you know speaking of jeff petrie who's a key part of their penalty kill he talked about the fact that when you're allowing those team passes and allowing the guys that the other team wants to set up for one-timers to get clean looks it's because you're being too aggressive it's because you're getting outside your box you're running around a little too much and that's how somebody finds themselves Open, especially somebody who, you know, you know, the other team is trying to set up that shot for. So, you know, they have to trust each other. They have to trust themselves in their own roles. And it should get sorted out because, you know, you look at Claude Julien's track record. He's always been a guy who's done a great job with penalty killing on his teams. And to have Luke Richards in there running, running that aspect of the game for the Canadians, I think they will figure that out.
0: So let me talk about the defense in general a bit here. Cale Fleury makes the team out of training camp. He was scratched a couple times, made his way back in the lineup. They've had kind of a rotating cast with Christian Follen, Mike Riley coming in, Ben Chirot, uh dropped down to the third pair. Clearly, they're still sort of figuring things out back there. When the dust settles, do you think they have enough back there or do you think this is a, a place where... We could still see a move, you know, maybe even before Christmas kind of thing.
2: I doubt it's much of a maybe scenario, to be honest with you. You know, Mark Bergevay was pretty open about the fact that he chased Jake Gardner on the open market in the summer. Uh, Wasn't able to convince him to come to Montreal. And understandably, you know, I think Gardner himself, uh, if he was going to leave a market like Toronto, it wasn't going to be for a market like Montreal, given everything he went through in Toronto uh, with the fans there and how hard they were on him. You know, it, this is a scenario that Claude Julien was talking about a week ago, and he was asked about whether or not they have the ideal partner for Shea Weber, and his answer was, uh, I work with what I have. It's a work in progress. Shea Weber himself and Victor Mete is a pairing, they've been good in parts of the game, they've been not so good in other parts, and they're still figuring it out despite spending two years together uh, on a pairing or the majority of two years together when Weber wasn't hurt. They have chemistry there. They haven't played their best hockey together. I expect that things tighten up around the league in general. That's going to help a player like Weber. And and I think Mete has shown some bursts over the last week that, you know, he's starting to elevate his game. People forget how long it takes to get going for some players sometimes. And especially as you get older, you know, I think it would be hyperbolic to start talking about, oh, well, Weber's done and he's lost a step and he can't do it. Um, this is a guy that over the last three years, uh, when you look at the advanced the stats in terms of what he does and, and not allowing passes to get to the spot in the dangerous areas, um, something that he hasn't been good at through the first nine games of the season, I think that's going to correct itself, um, especially as the game tightens up, as teams get more and more familiar with each other and their systems and the way they need to play to win. We see it, you know, every year everybody overreacts the amount of goals that go in at the beginning of the season. Canadians have allowed 29 in nine games. It's not a good statistic, obviously. They've also scored, you know, the fourth most goals in the league. And we know that if there's going to be a correction on one side, there's probably going to be a correction on the other. So I expect this team can tighten up defensively. Uh They have the parts to do it. Can they improve? Uh, I think so, in terms of bringing in somebody from the outside, it's something that they're going to be looking at throughout the season. Whether or not Mark Bergman is willing to pull the trigger on a deal that hasn't been a future asset, one of their top prospects who he's worked so hard in building up that prospect pool, it's really something you have to wonder about because it, will the pressure of making the playoffs you know, and not missing them for a fourth time in five years force him to do something that he doesn't necessarily want to do? it's something that we're going to keep an eye on from here to the end of the season.
1: So let's move up to the forwards, uh, Eric and Max Petcheretti's off to a great start in Vegas this year, 10 points in 10 games. And anytime that he's going to go on a stretch of great play like that, Habs fans are going to be looking at, well, what's Nick Suzuki doing? And, and he had, A really good preseason for the Habs, just a a huge standout. Didn't come as quickly to him once the season started, but he got two goals in his last three games. Um, What have you seen from him to start the season, and how he's adapting to actual, real NHL regular season games?
2: I think experience is the best feature, Rory. You know, like here's a kid that in preseason and training camp showed exactly that main asset that had him become such a highly touted prospect his brain for the game is tremendous you watch him, if you isolate on him away from the puck and where he's going and what he's doing, he knows where to be at all times and that's a huge asset especially for a player that doesn't necessarily have that explosive stride yet Um, he's a really good skater, I don't want people to get me wrong Uh, he just at 20 years old, doesn't have that full strength yet to have that explosion, those first couple of steps. So knowing where to be and being in the right places is a major advantage, especially for a player like that. I think it was an adjustment for him to get onto the wing. I know he played a lot there in junior, but he, to me, is a natural centerman. He thinks the game like a centerman. He plays the game like a centerman. And given what I just talked about, having that kind of, not having that explosive stride to start, being stuck on the wing and doing a lot more starting and stopping definitely was an adjustment for him at the beginning of the year. Then all of a sudden, the puck goes in, a shoveled backhand by the net and a power play, kind of an easy goal for him. And, and the weight of the world comes off his shoulders and the confidence swells. And since he scored uh, in that game against, I believe it was Minnesota last week a 4 nothing wins, a couple games he's played since then you could see a, a much more confident player a player who's doing the things that he did at the junior level and dominating with so that's been encouraging you throw that in you know versus Pateretti with with what Tatar did last year and where he's starting to find his game you know it was a good trade a, a trade that Vegas obviously felt they needed to make but uh, also a really good trade for Montreal I think a winning trade for Montreal both in the short term and the long term and A big part of the reason is because what the Canadians are going to get out of Nick Suzuki, I think, is a player that's going to have a very long NHL career.
1: And let's talk about another forward who there was a lot of attention around him in the preseason as well, but for very different reasons. Jonathan Drouin uh, was struggling. Um, There were trade rumors, suggestions coming out of that, Uh, and he's been great to start the season. Are they still figuring out... Where he fits in the lineup, who he plays best with, and and like is is this real? Is he really finding himself as an NHL player? Are we going to see a step up from in this season?
2: Well, what we're seeing is something really consistent. You know, it's not just that he's got a point a game; it's that he scored an eight of nine, and he's playing on a line with just Barry I and mean, a rotating winger at this point because Joel Armia went down with an injury over the weekend, but. You know, there's a lot to like about the way Jonathan Duran is playing the game. And, it's, you know, I think, you know, it's always going to be a story whether or not he's producing. But the biggest thing, and, and certainly I've noticed the Canadiens fan, is the effort level. And the effort level has been very consistent. And the way he's working to get the puck back on his stick, uh, the way he's working to create turnovers, the way he's working on a forecheck uh, in his own zone, he's not perfect. You know, he never will be. Uh, There will always be a couple of issues in his game, just like anybody else's. But, you know, I think it's interesting. You know, In preseason, there was obviously a lot of negative attention there. And and I was certainly, uh, I don't want to put myself in the story here, but at the center of it, I, I wrote something that was highly critical. I reported that the Canadians were exploring what the market might be on him. Um, that potentially if they couldn't find a fit for him in their lineup where, where they hadn't really found one, uh, that they could be looking at an addition by subtraction type of situation, which is definitely not what you want to hear as a player. Definitely ruffled a lot of feathers. I don't think the Canadians were happy about it. I don't think Jonathan Drouin was happy about it. Um, I don't think his agent was happy about it. Um, but at the end of the day, when I look back at that scenario, I don't know that it was necessarily a bad thing for him. And, um, you know, I'm not taking any credit at all. I don't want anybody to get it wrong. I'm not taking credit for this drastic kind of turnaround that we've seen at the beginning of the year. But one of the things, because, you know, what I wrote is not the only thing that was written about Drew is that the conversation started to get pretty intense around his play in the preseason with him not scoring, with him playing in four of the first six games, which is very rare for a player with over 300 games of experience under his belt, uh, with the general manager saying they expect more. Um, you know, what, what happened was this conversation really started to pick up steam, and the Canadians had to kind of come out and put out the fire. But in behind closed doors, I think it opened up the lines of communication between Julien, Bergermain, and you know, to give him a vote of confidence behind closed doors to say, We believe in you. We understand that this is a frustrating process right now, but it's time to go out and show what you're capable of. And, you know, I think for him personally, he, he kind of took it as a me against the world situation and turned something really positive out of it. Now, now what needs to be seen is that he will remain consistent and not necessarily in his production, but in his effort from here to game 82. And if he can do that, he's really turned the corner. And if he can do that, it's a huge asset for the Montreal Canadiens who many of the players in that room believe he's the best player on the team.
0: Well, if you're in any way responsible for him turning around, you'll never have to buy a drink again. in uh, in that town, <laughs>
2: Well, let's just, uh, let's just say he's not so mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. So apologies in advance. I kind of fumbled my way through this last one because I'm not even 100% sure what I'm asking. But you referenced, Eric, I mean, the Canadians have missed the playoffs four out of the past five years, as you said. And I'm just curious what your feel is for, I guess, the feeling around the team in that they're, they're in this unique position where they've really kind of done a, uh, a quick rebuild on the fly or quick acquisition of a lot of assets. You know, they're past two drafts of age really well. They brought in Nick Suzuki. They all of a sudden have gone from a prospect cupboard that was pretty bereft to one that's, you know, um, probably, you know, top five, top eight in the NHL. Now, that said, Mark Bergevin is, has been the GM since 2012, and if they, they miss the playoffs again, you would think, to some degree, it's a no-brainer that uh, someone else would come in and, and try and get things turned around. Do you feel like there's that you know sort of sword dangling over everything, or do you think ownership is more micro-focused on look? Uh, The guy's been here almost a decade now, but it's really been only the past two or three years when we've seen some of his best work and we truly feel we are pointed in the right direction. So we're going to still show a little bit of patience here as we try to get to where we want to go.
2: Yeah, I think if anything, Jeff Molson, his owner, has really shown that he trusts Mark Berger. And, you know, if we were going to discuss a time where he might lose his job, it would have been after that horror show 2017-18 season where the team finished, you know, bottomed out and um, he made a bunch of moves that just seemed to put them in that position. Um, Once Jeff Molson gave him his endorsement at that point, uh, I think Bergevin was really put in a position to succeed because there was only one direction to go in for this team. And that was to continue to build through the draft and build up the prospect pool, which I think if you ask the guys who do, you know, draft work and, and guys who do prospect work across the league, um, people that are much more uh, informed on that level than I am being on the Canadians beat, they'll tell you that the Canadians have one of the five best prospect pools in hockey, if not rank them higher. And so I think, you know, to think that missing the playoffs this year would cost Mark Bergerman his job, I don't really believe that's the case. Now, if they stink and they miss the playoffs and they're in the bottom third of the league, I think it could. But, you know, the, the more interesting part of the conversation for me in the playoff window is really about what this team believes it's able to accomplish. And, you know, I, I spent a bare portion of preseason asking just about every player and every person in the organization how close they believe they are to being able to compete for the Stanley Cup or, or more to the point, to give me a reason they believe they can win a Stanley Cup this year. And um a lot of the times the answer I get or I got was, uh, something external. It was look at what the Blues did last year, or if you look at the playoffs and the way the league is set up, anybody can win. Um, what I want to hear as things move along, uh, especially from players like Gary Price and Shea Weber and, and the, the the older established players on the Montreal Canadiens, is they start to look at internal reasons for why they can win. And once you start to have that happen, that's when you've really taken a step forward. And I think this team is young. I think they learned a lot last year, and the fact that they didn't have much turnover in the off season puts them on a path to uh, act on those learnings this year. So far, it's been up and down. It's been 50-50. It's been pretty much 500. Um, but I think they're capable of more, and I expect that we'll see it as we move forward here.
0: All right. Well, we will see where it goes from the team that... Uh Missed the playoffs, was the best team to miss the playoffs. Basically, last year finished with uh, more points than some of the teams that got in in the West, but wasn't good enough to get in in the tight East. Certainly uh, a lot of intrigue, as always, around the Habs. Eric, thanks so much for joining us, pal.
2: Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, guys.
0: All right, that is Sportsnet's Eric Angles. You can read his piece on Paul Byron very soon on Sportsnet.ca and all his great Habs coverage. What he didn't mention, Rory, was that I texted him on the weekend and uh threw out the old Who Says No. Oh, the fake trade. They were playing they played Minnesota twice <laughs> in uh in a couple days or at least in the span of a week. Yep. They beat them at home and, yep. and ended up uh gagging up a game in uh in Minnesota. But you know the old wheels got turning there because as we talked about You know, the Canadians are building, but they also clearly would like to to win now, would like to get in the playoffs. They have a very specific need on the left side of their defense, and I wondered if the cratering Minnesota Wild with a new GM and Ryan Suter on a big contract that takes them to about 39, the Habs with a lot of draft picks and some cap space, old buddy Shea Weber on the team, I wondered if maybe there was a fit there. That'd be tough to fit under the cap. It would, it would not? be tough to f- yeah. seven mil, seven and change. Um, but they could do it. And, you know, it'd be a situation where you'd bring in a guy like that and kind of, you know, I think he's the kind of player who probably will age okay. Mm-hmm. And you're hoping to not ask the world out of him as Victor yep. Mete, uh, Romanov down the road, you know, you're, you're hoping to, you're buying time for those guys to take the lead roles. Um. Eric was lukewarm to the idea. Wasn't sure I had uh, struck gold there, but... Uh, would you play him on the same pair? Or I think you'd have to just for old time's sake a little bit. I mean, you probably would start that way. Um, but I think ideally, I mean, you know, the Canadians would in a perfect world probably like to be reducing the amount of time Shea Weber's playing, right? I mean, yeah, I, sure. I certainly don't think it'd be in your best interest to pretend it was Nashville 2011, right? And you know who would be a great candidate to earn more minutes and soften <laughs> Shea Weber's load is... The minute eater, Ryan Suter,
1: constantly is up near the top of the league in average, I'd say.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens on the Dean. He mentioned Jake Gardner. Sure sounds like they took a run at him in the summer. But as Eric said, if you're Jake Gardner, you just came out of the zoo that is Toronto. Do you really want to go to possibly the one place that's even nuttier? Yes. Maybe not.
1: Speaking of the Minnesota Wild, while well, you mentioned them there, I'm going to promote another article that's going to be up on Sportsnet.ca on Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday. Mark Spector had a QA and a with their GM Bill Guerin, nice. so maybe he can shed some light on All the right. thought process. I know it was reported on headlines last weekend that he's not going to be rushing to do anything, yeah. nothing emotional, which makes a lot of sense, right? He's just inherited this team, but um, wouldn't you love to hear a GM
0: come in and say, "I'm going to get crazy. I'm oh, just, yeah. I'm just going to act on raw, up. raw emotion." <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) But yes, of course. I mean, you know, at some point it becomes too much to ignore there. and They seem destined to do something to turn down, like to go back
1: down the standings and And see if you can rise up. Might
0: as well go down while your division is absolutely the toughest in in, in the league and give it a few years. All right, well, we're not going to give it a few years here. We'll be back (laughs) next week on the Tape to Tape podcast. Until then, you can always follow Rory on Twitter, at Rory Boylan, myself at Dixon on sports come by sportsnet.ca for all our coverage of hockey and every other sport some great stuff going on in the sports world right now check back next week for more glass rattling hockey action on tape to tape